Welcome to Reading the Bible Together podcast. If you're following along with us in the study guide, we're going to do the Greek word first, and then we'll get into our conversation for today's chapter. All right, Acts chapter 10, verse 15, we see this word koinos, uh, which means common. Uh, It's kind of assuming the idea of unclean here. So in a Jewish system, you have uh, Jewish food laws and Jewish uh, purity codes and that sort of thing. Um, there is the the holy, the sacred, the set apart, the special, the kosher, we might say. And then there's everything else, the common, the unclean, the regular, the ordinary, right? And so Peter sees this vision of this sheet being let down with all of these common animals or unclean in Peter's mind. And the voice is going to say, hey, Peter, kill and eat, do your thing. And he's going to say, oh, no, I can't. I, you know, uh, He's being more religious than God is here in this moment, right? He's following the, the rule that he's known since he was a little kid uh, that you know a good Jewish man follows. Um, and this voice from heaven is going to tell him to Ignore that. Don't call anything I have called clean, unclean. Now, this is a precursor for the conversion of Cornelius, which we're going to see in this chapter, where Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion Gentile, uh, but also generous and kind and, you know, well spoken of by all, but he's the wrong race. He's not Jewish. He's an outsider. But we're going to see that God is going to bring him into the fold. He's not koinos. He's not unclean. He's not common. He's actually exactly the kind of person that God wants to welcome into his kingdom. He wants to to welcome this outsider in. And actually, uh, koine uh, is related to this word koinos for common, and that's that's the language of the New Testament is koine Greek. It means common Greek. It's the, the language that the common people spoke. And why is the New Testament written in koine Greek? It's because they wanted to get the message out to as many people as they possibly could, and koine Greek was the way to do that. And so that's our Greek word for today five times in Acts, 14 times in the New Testament. Uh, It's a good word. It's an important word as we think about the Greek of the New Testament. Welcome to Reading the Bible Together podcast. I'm your host, Angela Smith. Today we are talking about Acts chapter 10, and I am so excited about my guest today. He is Christian ministry professor for the University of Northwestern, Dr. Peter Kapsner. Indeed. Great to be here. I love these little Bible podcasts that you're, you've been doing and now, especially as we're heading towards uh, Easter and, and the season of Lent. This is fabulous. So good. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's such a privilege that this is my job that I get to do uh, right. I have yeah. to study God's word and then talk about it. Yeah. What? <laughs> know. Rough, rough gig. <laughs> I know, right? That's great. I love you it. You can pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Three, you know, the suffering and the sorrows that it is, <laughs> yeah. right? I love it. <laughs> So today we're talking about um, Acts chapter 10, and we, I had to get recording because we were having such a great conversation yes, before I started. Yes, an animated conversation indeed. Yeah, and so let's just let's dive right into it. And I, Because of what we're seeing in this chapter, if you haven't read Acts chapter 10 yet, I suggest you go and read it and then come back and listen to this conversation. Um, but what we're seeing here is Peter, who is a Jewish man, is being asked to go to the house, the home of someone who is not Jewish. Right. And I think, I mean, even for me, I kind of, I had a hard time wrapping my head around why could he not even go into the home? Why could he, as a Jewish man, not go into the home of a Gentile? 
So will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think at that 40,000 foot level, we're talking about a long generational history, hundreds if not over uh, several thousand years in which the the command for the Jewish people has been to stay away primarily from the Gentiles and, and they were considered to be unclean somehow. Uh, there's a lot of reasons to stay away, but this, this uncleanliness is part of it. And I think to understand that, because I think sometimes, I don't know how it's been for you with the biblical text, uh, Angela, but I think... We read these things about don't eat this kind of meat or don't do these things, and, and they're just – it seems kind of these random arbitrary sorts of commands. But I would suggest that's because in the 21st century, we're living in the kind of time in which um, we see things through the lens of science, and so we're only worried about what's going on in the material realm. Well, and also unclean, to me, would say something that's dirty, right, that exactly. looks dirty. And, and it is. Like Jews are – Jewish people are – they um, there's restrictions against eating pork, for example, or crustaceans, lobsters, or, or just sort of these um, sea-bottom-dwelling creatures. Um, there's other forms of dirtiness and unclean, and that's actually real. But within the Jewish understanding of the world, it was a non-scientific understanding. It didn't mean that they were dumb or lesser than in the Hebrew text. In fact, I would say we're, we're missing – a lot of the beauty and wonder of what they would have understood that we've lost since that time. And what we see in the physical realm or what's going on in these stories in the physical space is also something that's being mirrored in the, in the spiritual realm at the same time, not as a metaphor, like actually happening. And because people outside of God's kingdom were seen to have almost an uncleanliness of some kind of the soul, that there's this match between the uncleanliness of the world and uncleanliness of the soul that you just aren't supposed to be participating in. But you know, leprosy functions the same way too. Jesus has these interesting statements as he's healing leprosy. He's also talking about forgiveness of sins because the leprosy is is evidence of some disfiguring reality in the world. So we have to really get into that more. And, and, and uh, the Jewish people were just like, stay away from that. And all of a sudden in the book of Acts, it's go towards that. And it's such a confusing shift that I think if we were living in that time, we would be completely disoriented about what God is inviting us into. Because it's really hard to take off our, you know, 21st century glasses. Always. And, and to look at it from a different perspective. And before we started recording, too, we were talking about, um, well, we were talking about the Hebrew word nefesh. Yes. Because, uh, well, will you talk a little bit? You can probably talk about it better than yeah, I Yeah, no, and you had some really interesting collaborative studies on it as well. But there, so to get more into the symbolism of it, um, and I hate to say symbolism because symbol means maybe it doesn't exist. It just is this in, in the metaphysic or the way they understood the world. There's an interesting passage in Leviticus where it says, don't drink the blood of the animal for the life of the animal is in the blood. And that word life there means nephesh, which is primarily translated as soul that has been animated by the breath of God. So when something is a nephesh, there's real blood happening in, in that animal, but that blood somehow is also housing the soul, which is the breath of God that animates or brings it to life. And so don't dare drink that blood. And for Hebrew people, the sacrificial system was that they would take their polluted nephesh uh, of their blood and they would lay their hands on the unblemished lamb or the unblemished dove or the unblemished animal. And they really believed that they were transmitting their blemished nephesh or life force into the unblemished land who would then take it as a sacrifice and then spill the blood and then the people of the community would be clean again. Now they had to keep doing that over and over and over again. So the book of Hebrews in chapters you know 8 through 10 is talking all about, but the blood of Jesus is the once for all sacrifice because his nephesh was of the kind of quality that he could take in the power of sin and death and break it all open to the other side. And now we have the once for all sacrifice. It's done. And so understanding all of that helps us understand even the cross. Yes. And I, I mean, I never put that together with the blood of Jesus. Yeah. Sprinkled that, that, by his blood. Big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I'm just, my, I'm, <laughs> my mind's a little blown right now. Yeah. But that's the hard part, right? Like when we read these really interesting stories, we have to not read them through the American 21st century lens. We have to do the discipline the best we can to understand the Jewish worldview in which they're being written. And then these things just start coming to life. Yeah. So, so Peter, coming from that perspective, coming from the understanding that he is to not even go into the house of Cornelius, Mm -hmm. and then he has these amazing dreams. We talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I sympathize with this because when I am really stuck in a worldview, what, what is required to dislodge me from that worldview seems (laughs) to almost be some sort of almost miraculous intervention of God. There needs to be something that just really disrupts. And so the, the whole invitation of the book of Acts starts in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus says, you will be empowered to be my witnesses into Judea and then Samaria and then even to the ends of the earth, meaning that the redemptive activity of God is going to all sorts of people that have never had the opportunity to, mm-hmm. to really be part of the kingdom in this way. And Peter is still coming from the old paradigm where the, the redemptive activity of God is only within the Jewish nation. And that's his worldview. It's how he would have grown up, understandably so. And God comes in this disruptive dream. And and says, basically, hang on just a minute. Uh, you just need to understand, I already went to this Roman official, this Cornelius, and and um, ex- just gave him a little window of what life is like and that he has a possibility of his faith that he's been wondering about to be part of it too. Now I'm going to send you as an emissary. And he needed that disruption. He needed God to show up three times in this dream, saying three different ways you need to go, you need to go, you need to go. And, and Peter, to his credit, obeyed that. He didn't just dismiss it. He really took it as a word that he needed to go that direction. And will you talk a little bit about the number three? Yeah, that's another yeah that? lovely number in the text. I mean, I think three shows up 467 times in the Bible, and it, and it means completeness broadly. It tends to mean completeness in the sense of harmony is coming. So Jesus, when he spent three days in the earth, he was bringing the completeness of the breaking of sin and death and bringing thus harmony back to his beloved creation. Or Samuel, when he needs to bring harmony to the temple that has been so corrupted by Eli and Phineas and Hophni, these corrupted priests of the temple, God comes to Samuel three times. Um, Peter denies Jesus three times, and that is a disharmony, but it's a complete disharmony But by the time he's done. Jesus restores him three times by, do you love me? And so you see this number play itself out. And when three shows up in this Acts chapter 10, and it does in multiple times with three men, three o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, three times God comes to Peter, there's, there's going to be underpinning this, the great harmony of Jews and Gentiles that is really the primary concern of the entire New Testament. And then in, in case some people have, because I understood seven to, to be completeness. So will you talk a little bit about yep. the difference or... Yeah, three is more about, I think my understanding would be more about harmony, disharmony, completeness, like what is coming in that, whereas seven is just like the completeness of something is done. Like what was set out to be intended is now complete. So when God rests on that seventh day, it's the it's the end of what he set out to do. And so seven is much more of a completeness on that level, like the finishing of something, whereas three is about the completeness of harmony or disharmony. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so Peter goes. Peter goes to Cornelius's house and and then what happens? Yeah, well, he shows up. I just can you imagine just no. walking into the house? I would be so sheepish knocking on that door. And I'm sure, you know, they lived in pretty small villages back then, so it wouldn't be completely uh, un, unthinkable that Cornelius and Peter knew the, each other somehow in this. Mm-hmm. And now Peter's at the door and he's got to try to somehow explain to Cornelius what Cornelius had been experiencing. And not only that, he has to get over all of his past theological ideas about even being at the house. So you just enter into that, I can't imagine. But he just faithfully comes in 
and begins to tell the story. And and he he is able to give words to Cornelius's experience. And and I think whatever else we think about evangelism, and there's a lot of different ways to think about it, I think what we have to be careful to recognize is that God is likely at work among people who have not professed faith on some level. They don't, maybe they're caught still in the trappings of sin, but that doesn't mean that God is not at work in them. God is at work in our job as emissaries or ambassadors is to simply give language to what the ever-redemptive God is trying to do among his beloved. So Peter comes in and does that. He tells him, well, let me tell you a little bit about why you're having this experience. And then he just launches into the gospel in a beautiful way. And that's such a different posture from... I'm going to let me come and bring it to you and right. tell you all about these things versus God, I know you're at work and I want to partner with what you're doing there yeah. and be used by you or just the, okay, Lord, I know you want me to go there. So I'm going to go there and I feel really weird about it. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Which is, yeah, Peter, maybe I've been feeling more that way. Right. And, and I think we, we get caught up in that we have to sort of like figure out how to market or persuade people into the kingdom. Um, or even that would just one size fits all. And we always have to be evangelizing everywhere we go. But I think part of what the story teaches us is that God is at work in people. And then sometimes he will call us out specifically as ambassadors of the reconciliation to be the people in the moment. But that doesn't mean we just go carte blanche all over the place. One, one of my mentors once said, you know, we can create um, spiritual abortions, as it were, like people coming to new life. If we just hit them over the head with a hammer at the wrong time, um, then maybe we're going to actually tune them out as mm-hmm. God is actually bringing them to life. And so what does it mean? Both You can see it on both sides. God is working with Cornelius, but he's also working with Peter and he's going to bring him together at that beautiful moment of new life. And what is so beautiful is that the Holy Spirit comes on, comes on them right? in the same way that we saw the Holy Spirit come on the disciples and the apostles back yeah. in chapter two. Yep, for sure. And, it, and that's the undeniable sign, right? That, that, to be baptized in God, it, it, you know, there's a lot of different theological ideas that exist today. We don't have the time to get in all of them. But from that worldview, it was baptism just means to be immersed in. It means to be surrounded by. And it so, was a regular practice, wasn't it? It was, yes. There is what called like the baths of mikvah among the Jewish people. I mean, there were constant, there was a lot of different forms of baptism or immersion or coming into a new kind of life. And the the heart of the gospel is the coming into the new kind of life. It is no longer does the power of sin control me. I will still struggle with it, but it no longer has the final say. There's a new resurrection power at work in the midst of the power of sin and death that can help increasingly set me free. And as we're immersed in God by his spirit that's now been launched among everybody that would want it, uh, Cornelius experiences this immersing into God where there's a new resurrection power at work in his life. And Peter, to his great credit, recognizes and he's like, how can we possibly withhold the waters of baptism? Clearly already the life of God is, is here. And so we'll just kind of back, you know, backfill that with baptism because the new life is already present. That's such a beautiful picture of what, bap- well, of what baptism symbolizes mm-hmm. too, the immersion of being in the Lord. I don't think I've heard it put that way before. Yeah. I mean, I love the Great Commission then where it says, you know, go therefore and um, and basically teach everybody, make disciples, invite them to follow me, and then immerse them in the Trinitarian life of God, baptize mm-hmm. them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so it's less about some sort of ritual. The ritual matters. I mean, the early church went into the waters of baptism, but when they came out of those waters, they were greeted by somebody who would anoint their heads with oil. And that, that oil was representative of the new life of the spirit within them. And now they would be surrounded and immersed in God as a community of people. It's, it's a really beautiful picture. It is. Yeah. I love it. 
Oh, Peter, this was so good. So fun. There's so much in all of this. And <laughs> it just know. all these chapters. It's just so fun. Like you said, you get to get up and just talk about the scriptures. And there's so much there. And it really is beautiful. Well, thank you for shining a different light, too, and helping us bring helping bring greater understanding into the context mm. of especially where Peter is coming from for those of us who don't have that that context. So thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. Really fun. Do it anytime. Thank you for joining us for Acts chapter 10. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. <laughs> and uh, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. We'll see you next time for Acts chapter 11. The Reading the Bible Together podcast is a production of Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Hosted, produced, and edited by Angela Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, consider financially supporting Faith Radio. Find more information at myfaithradio.com. Music